Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Toto Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, president of Westminster Effects. You can check us out and buy stuff at westminstereffects.com. Make sure you join in the discussion, the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook. Give us a comment on Facebook and Instagram. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., etc. Uh, joining me, uh, not in person this time, but via the interwebs, uh, but still in Greer, we have... This is Bradley Cox. You know who I am? Glad to be here this morning. <laughs> and also via the interwebs. Hey everybody, John Ross here, Westminster Effects Artist. Our, our, uh, wow. Westminster <laughs> Effects Artist, Augsburgian Christian. Uh, I didn't get an I Voted sticker from Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, also, Bradley, I think what I really need to do is, you know, like... Uh, in those old like '80s TV shows, I, I think that we just need to have a jingle for you, like um, some spark, some sparkly synth, and like a ding, and yes. it's Bradley. You know, I yeah. think I think that that's what we need. Dude, Cody's dad, Cody's dad keeps saying he's going to record for me an introduction that gets played on this podcast when it's time for me to introduce myself. Because I just I hate introducing myself. I mean, anyway. <laughs> So, um, as we are recording, obviously this will come out about a week later, but it's November 4th. And for, and for those of you who don't keep up with the dates very well, uh, yesterday was November 3rd as you know, numbers work. What's special means, about November 3rd? It was, it was election day and I may or may not have accidentally spent more time than I anticipated keeping up with election coverage, not out of any kind of like anxiety or anything. It was just legitimately interesting yesterday. Just seeing how how certain states were coming in and such. So this entire episode is thanks to the listeners. We're just going to do a full bore Inquisition episode. So as is tradition, we're going to start with Brian Morris, and we're just going to jump right in. He asks recommended reading on eschatology. (laughs) Take it away, Cody. Okay. Um, <laughs> so Sam Waldron's Eschatology Made Simple is actually really good. Uh, it's written from an amillennial perspective. Um, I am currently reading Ken Gentry's Before Jerusalem Fell, uh, which is a very deep dive. It's like a 400-page tome on, uh, on an early date of revelation and it, it i'm currently in the early church father's citations of certain things and it's blowing my mind a little bit it's a brain melter um and then uh for a common uh, a very accessible commentary on revelation uh doug wilson's when the man comes around which yes is a reference to a johnny cash song so <laughs> <laughs> so there you have it and yeah. fellers got anything other than the Bible. Well, I'm just glad that neither one of you said the left behind uh, anthology. I was going <laughs> to say that. I was going to, ah, John. Uh, well, sorry to burst your bubble. Uh, no, that's, uh, 
Uh, that's actually, late great planet Earth. I mean, that's great advice uh, for me uh, because that is probably out of all things the one section of theology that I have not really explored, uh, at least not from a uh, more academic side of things. And uh, it's it's one that certainly uh, certainly interests me. So I appreciate the recommendations, Cody. I'm sure the listeners do too. Yeah, man. Also, that Gentry book I, I recommended is available on his website in PDF form for free. Oh, nice. So, but yeah. you, you got to put on a helmet to wear, write, read that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I will readily admit that Cody is way more read on eschatology than I am. Um, and I would uh, recommend, I, I, I have enjoyed, Cody gave me a copy of When the Man Comes Around by Doug Wilson, and I've enjoyed reading. I haven't read all of it, but I've read some. Yeah. I've enjoyed reading that. And um, I, I, don't, I think this would fit in the genre of eschatology, but N.T. Wright, Surprised by Hope. Um, yes. I, I recommend N.T. Wright with some level of caution. Um mm-hmm just because of some things that I don't agree with him on with justification, I tend to align with Piper, um, and that, you know, debate that he and N.T. Wright had, uh, more so than N.T. Wright, but uh, I thought his surprise by hope was really good. And he seems to kind of have some similar thoughts to Doug Wilson. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I would, I don't know that N.T. Wright would classify himself as post mill, no, um, but uh, there are some similarities. Um, so that's a, that's a good book. And the the podcast that I recommended to Cody, uh, which has mm-hmm. John Piper, Doug Wilson, help me, Cody. Who else is on that? Uh, um, Sam Storms. Sam Storms and the and other guy. guy. <laughs> I, don't I can't remember, remember his name. <laughs> The, the, the pre-mill guy is the guy that uh, I can't ever remember his name. Uh, yeah. I think Sam Storms considered himself a mill. Yep. And Doug Wilson is, of course, post-mill. But that podcast is about two hours and is a fun listen that I think is accessible to anybody. Uh, it really is. So yeah. why don't we put the link to that in the show notes so our Let's. listeners can, uh, you know, do the bleep bloop and then and get over there and take a listen. Yep. Show notes. Eschatology. That's really a that's really a fun listen. I think it's called A Night on Eschatology. Yeah. And you know, those guys just sit around the table and 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 talk and debate in a real you know, it's just a fun listen. Yeah, and you really can good. and you can tell that they're really enjoying themselves and each other, which is yeah. one of the reasons it makes sense. And you get and you get all the perspectives, right? Like you get yep. really, really smart guys who don't agree on all the particulars, um, having really good conversation. And so if you're, if you're not sure where you stand, that's a good place to start. Absolutely. So let's go to the next question and stay in the realm of eschatology, because this is actually a pretty important question uh, where Brad Speed asks, what's the difference between the seven mountain mandate and that post mill? <laughs> oh, good Lord. So, and this is, this is just one of those things that I've, I've extra researched recently. So the seven mountain mandate is, is a new apostolic reformation doctrine regarding their eschatology. They believe that, and they've been saying this for years, but this is the last generation Job's army is going to come in and work signs and wonders and instantiate this end times revival that will enable Jesus to return and set up the kingdom on earth. 
effectively. So, so the seven mountains are things like business, music, entertainment, uh, politics, whatever. And their stance is that Christians will effectively take those over and then from the top down, um, bring about the kingdom. That's my understanding of it. Uh, Bradley, have you read about the same thing? Yep. Yep. I've yeah. sat in seminars where guys taught on that stuff and that's, that's really, uh, it's, it's like a, <clears throat> I don't know, like a, um, a more peaceful crusade, uh, yeah. if you will, kind of approach where the Christians are just taking over. Yeah. Uh, all, all the key facets of society. Yeah. It's, it's almost a strong arm approach is yeah, is very much so, like. very much so. Whereas post-millennialism, or if you want to call anything optimistic, amillennialism or whatever is, is there is a grassroots, uh, gradually the church grows until it fills the earth kind of thing. Um, so it's, it's really, is it bottom up or is it top down? And as far as I can tell, uh, post-millennialism and any kind of optimistic amillennialism or what have you, um, is really always more grassroots oriented, more bottom up. So, yeah, that's, uh, that's my understanding. But again, I, mm-hmm. I can't say that I'm very well versed in post mill theology. Yeah. So, but that, that would be the, that's a great way to describe it. Top down versus bottom up. Um, and, and not so much like, uh, strong arming and cessational kind of, you know, the, the, the NAR has this hyper charismatic, um, kind of approach to at least the, the, the guys that I've heard teach on it. Um, it seems to be very much interwoven with word of faith, prosperity, gospel type theology. It's, it's basically word of faith taken to an eschatological conclusion. Exactly. That's, yeah, that's a better way yeah. to put it. Yeah. Uh, so let's get a little more immediately practical <laughs> now that we've lost everyone. Well, we don't know. <laughs> you know it, everything we talk about could happen tomorrow. You know, it's. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Never mind. Uh, I won't go there. Uh, so Matt Bradley asks What questions should you be asking leadership of a church that you are looking at for a potential church home? So, I, I mean, one question, <laughs> Bradley, I'm sure you remember when Kristen and I first started coming, you're like, yeah, come meet with me on whatever night before band and we can get to know each other and you can ask questions and whatever. And I peppered you on dang near everything, <laughs> but, uh, we had just had a pastor transition out, uh, or rather res since that was pre me. I don't know if I can really say we, uh, but res just had a pastor transition out to plant a church in Greenville, similar to what we're having now. And one of my questions was, what are you going to do about that vacancy? You know, Mm -hmm. like is, is, you know, what's the trajectory going forward with that? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I mean, I, I think that's a, that's a really good question. What questions to ask? Um, you know, some of that for me would be determined by what I've experienced in yeah. visiting that church. You know, what, what, what's the style of teaching? What's the, the, you know, the, the, the person or persons who teach on Sunday mornings, what's their approach to biblical exposition? Uh, what am I seeing in worship? Um, what, what, 
what seems what seems to be driving this church? What are they really focused on? And that would shape a lot of my questions. But, you know, um, I think our listeners would know that I'm very, I, I hold the authority of scripture and how that is emphasized in the church um, very high. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, that would be one of my first questions. Another of my questions would be, what what is this church's take on all things Holy Spirit? How do they think about spiritual gifts? Um, how do they how do they understand the role of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer in an ongoing sense? Mm-hmm. Uh, and how are they emphasizing that? Because I, I just would not be comfortable in a church that's all word and no spirit, nor would I be in, um, comfortable in a church that's all spirit and very little word. Right. Um, so that, that would be personally for me, that would be, uh, there would be some questions around that. And and that's obviously influenced by both your background growing up and background recently where yes, background recently, but also, and I think more importantly, how much I am seeing in scripture of, just the emphasis. I mean, we're about to start the gospel of Luke at res Yep. and Luke's primary theme is Jesus's ongoing dependence on the power and presence of the Holy spirit in his earthly ministry. Um, and that theme from Luke obviously continues in the book of acts. Right. Um, and so we've got to do something with that. We, 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 there has to be an emphasis of, of that in the church. And so that's, what I would be looking for that's coupled with the emphasis on the authority of the Bible. Yep. What you got, John? Yeah. Good suggestions, Bradley. Um, I think that uh, I would tack on to some of those things um, that, that you guys have mentioned. I mean, in, in the worship realm, I think I'd be most interested in what their doctrine of worship is, you know, as, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's really important uh, to me that a church has a right understanding of, of the worship service in general. Um, but what actually takes place, like who are the players, so to speak? Uh, you know, where is the service, like the actual service as a verb uh, happening and, do we have, is it all top down? Is it all bottom up? Is it left to right? I mean, my understanding is that we have a, uh, we receive God's gifts. We uh, share those with each other and we utilize those gifts to return praise, glory, and thanksgiving back to God. I mean, that's a super important uh, concept to me because that drives a lot of the decisions made during the, during the worship service and, and really kind of, nets a, uh, a very doxological view of, of worship that, mm-hmm. um, yeah. although the people of God receive the gifts of God, um, what is the <clears throat> point of receiving those gifts? And sure it's to, uh, to, to shepherd God's people in their daily walks, but to what end? And ultimately it's to the benefit of the neighbor and the glory of God. And so that I think would be a a major point to me, uh, more, uh, let's say, uh, ecclesiastical perhaps, uh, Mm. 
I would, I would ask what the uh, pastoral accountability system's like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. You know, some congregations have it where uh, the eldership is the, uh, the accountability buddy for the pastor. Uh, whereas um, in Christ, I mean, that certainly is on an interpersonal level, uh, but uh, we're based on policy-based governance, which means that we have a, a lay leadership board that effectively uh, is the elected representation from the congregation to keep the, the pastors accountable in all things, whether business uh, or ministry related in a sense. And, you know, some of those responsibilities are, you know, by calling a, a senior pastor, director of ministries or, or what have you. Um, but I, I think there's some pitfalls with, with numerous ways. And I would love to know how a new church approaches that. Um, in addition, I think I'd really like to know how they uh, approach uh, financial stewardship. Mm-hmm. Um, and how they report that stewardship back to the congregation and how easy or difficult it is to see, hey, where is our giving going? Because I think that also uh, inspires a bit of accountability on behalf of, of the church body as, as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think those are probably the, the big three things that don't really hit on um, things that would be easily observed, such as, you know, worship style or children's ministry, or what programs do you have? You know, these are things that wouldn't be able to be answered by a, uh, uh, like a welcome center brochure, so to speak. And I, I, I think that I'd settle on those. Yeah. Mm. Sweet. Sweet. Uh, so next question, uh, Dustin Beeman asks a sports related question, but for uh, John, we can expand it for you a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Much so you appreciated. Can, so you can feel included. Oh, thanks, he, bud. He, he asks, who's your favorite sports play-by-play announcer and why is it Joe Buck? Uh, well, one, I can tell you why it's not Joe Buck. <laughs> but John, we can also expand this to you for uh, maybe favorite narrator uh, in general, uh, Morgan Freeman, Mike Rowe, etc. cetera. Um, Do they have to be alive? No. I would say Larry Munson. Mm. Uh, the late great uh, University of Georgia uh, football announcer, who I think, if you go back on YouTube and listen to that guy, he is just incredible. Um, there's, uh, I've seen a video on YouTube where they put cameras in the booth and just sort of gave people a sense of what his experience is like calling a football game. And I think it was from the nineties. Um, and just from the onset, when he describes the weather and the field and the, the uniforms and the, he, mm-hmm. he had a way of painting a picture with words that, uh, you know, I've listened to a lot of sports on the radio. Um, and I just, I don't think there's ever been anybody better at, painting a picture. Um, I mean, some might disagree with that, but man, so entertaining, you know, he's got the famous quotes about, you know, when Herschel Walker was, you know, coming on the scene in the eighties and, and describing, you know, uh, some of his runs and stuff. And then, uh, there's the famous hobnail boot quote. Uh, yep, I remember when, that one when Georgia was playing Tennessee, 
that's a fun one to go back and find and listen to. So uh, he's one of my favorites. Awesome. So I've got, I've got a couple, uh, there's, you know, a couple from, uh, <clears throat> being, being a Braves fan. So skip Carey, uh, oh, yeah. was, was really the voice of my childhood. And, mm-hmm. uh, he, he was just fun to listen to, but also one of the more underrated guys from that old TBS team, who's still doing Braves radio. As far as I'm aware is Don Sutton. Yeah. And, uh, just does a fantastic job, but, but, especially as a baseball fan, my all time favorite just has to be Vin Scully. Hmm. If I, if I could get one guy to narrate my life, it would not be Morgan Freeman. It would be Vin Scully. <laughs> Vin Scully. <laughs> when uh, I think, my, and it was just an offhanded comment, not related to baseball, but like one of the more memorable calls I've ever heard him uh, say was, you know, they had a, it was like a, a, uh, an afternoon game, like going into twilight and the camera focuses on the sunset and he just goes, looks like a cotton candy sunset. Looks good <laughs> enough to eat. <laughs> just so, and he was so understated with everything. Yeah. Like he wanted to be as objective as possible as possible. And so, uh, you know, the Dodgers just won the world series and, you know, I've, I've appreciated Clayton Kershaw for his entire career. And, and if, if MLB network was on and it was a Dodgers game with Vin Scully calling Kershaw, I would watch it just for those guys Mm. because it was so, so enjoyable, but Joe Buck sucks. (laughs) (laughs) Here's, here's my biggest gripe about Joe Buck. And this is, this is the result of being a words and grammar guy. He does Mm. not know how to use a possessive noun while he's announcing (laughs) so so if he was talking about so if he was if he was saying uh yeah john's microphone cut off he couldn't say that on the air on the fly he would say the microphone of john cut off and that's every single possessive noun during a ball game every single one give me an apostrophe and an s (laughs) stop saying of that's funny. Well, you know, I, I tell you, I obviously, a, a lot of that went over my head. The, the names aren't really familiar and, but I think I can latch onto the spirit uh, of it, it, at least in the sports world of what you guys are, are uh, appreciating of these various announcers. And I can't say an in, in, in individual, cause I don't know their names, uh, but there's, it, it really doesn't matter where, but there's something about, sports announcers on AM radio. That's just genuine. Yeah. And I, I can't put my finger on it. Um, but for instance, last night when, uh, when I was watching it, so it's just some of the election coverage, it listening to the, the, the pundits and the commentators and the news anchors, it was very clear that they were very self-important to me. And, you know, it, it was, they, they were speaking in a way that, oh my gosh, everything is so serious. And what I appreciate yeah. about sports announcers on AM radio is it's not that. Mm. Is there, there's an amount of, uh, of lightheartedness and, and raw excitement that comes through. And I'm, sh- I'm sure that exists in, in some television coverage, but there's something about AM radio that, there's just that, that, that voice mm. that yep. 
whoever is calling it is so stinking genuinely excited uh, I, that that quality makes uh, really a spectator sport able to be appreciated in, in an audio only format. And so uh, whoever yep. has, uh, has that quality, I think has my vote as far as just general narrators. Um, I do the occasional audio book and this is going to be a weird one. Um, but Rosario Dawson actually um, as far as general, in general narration goes, uh, she's very expressive, uh, with, uh, uh, with her phrasing choices and, and just the way that she presents certain words and ideas and thoughts that, uh, that I appreciate. Uh, yeah. Very cool. I will say that I do quite enjoy anything Mike Rowe does. Oh yeah. And he's, he's got a, he's got a pretty Mm. fun podcast called the way I heard it. And he's just, he's just fun to listen to. Mm. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. Justin Darty. How would, how would, how should one address a lead pastor or lead elder who is in a plurality of elders about micromanagement or acting like a CEO? Hmm. Pro tip, not guns blazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, I don't think that that's a, a good process with anybody inside or outside of ministry who, who has that, uh, that kind of, well, that, self, that self-important kind of self-adopted uh, leader of the pack uh, feeling uh, or persona. Um. I don't know if I have any, any pro tips or practical advice to, uh, to offer though. Um, that's not to say that I haven't seen it. Uh, I just don't know how, how I would, how I would necessarily approach that. Well, you know, the, it, it, this kind of ties back into the whole question about what, what kinds of questions should I be asking of a new church that I'm, you know, uh, considering becoming a part of. Um, and again, this person might be asking from the standpoint of I'm already in a church and I've committed and I'm, I've learned that there's a micromanagement kind of thing going on. And there, there's just, there's, there's a lot of nuances that could be in place. You know, it micromanagement is not a far cry from personality driven. Uh, you can have a, I've, I've seen church. I've, I've actually, you know, um, had relationships with, with churches over, over the years where, yeah, there's a plurality of leadership. There's kind of some built in accountability, whether they call them elders or board members or deacons or whatever. Uh, that's, that's really nothing more than a, a group of yes men to mm-hmm. a really strong charismatic personality who drives everything and perhaps micromanages everything around his personality. And, and so I, I would need to like get some more detail and kind of get a sense of like what the dynamic is. I mean, is there a real strong plurality in place? And if there is, if you're unable to approach this lead pastor who's micromanaging and have a fruitful conversation with him directly, which I do think would be the first uh, step I would attempt. Yep. Um, then are you then able to request an audience with the whole plurality of elders and are they 
Um, are they a group of leaders that are open and receptive to that kind of thing and perhaps could hold the lead pastor accountable? Um, it, it really depends on, I, I think, I don't want to, Cody, you can verify this or not, but I don't think that Res is a personality driven church. Everything doesn't revolve yep. around me. So yep. if, if someone were like you, Cody, were to say, you know, I just feel like Bradley's micromanaging the worship team. Um, and I cannot <clears throat> resolve that with him directly. I think you could go to Donnie, you know, Andy, Jonathan, Keith, and you could request an audience with all of us and, can, and could say in humility with grace, again, not with guns blazing, like you said, so, you know, yeah. I feel like our worship team could thrive more if Bradley would take his hands off of it. And yeah. that, yeah. that conversation could be had. And I think our elders would, would do their due diligence to see if that's, that's a true accusation and then hold me accountable. Um, because right. everything doesn't revolve around me here. So I don't know if that, I hope that answers the question, but it's, it's, it's a delicate thing. Um, but it's not an, it's, it's not something that I think is insignificant. If a lead pastor is micromanaging everything that could, could be a sign of some unhealthy cultural stuff going on in the church. No, definitely. You know, I, you know, it, it, it is such a complex issue and it's something that's so very, uh, subjective to the situation. It's difficult to make uh, kind of just generalized uh, advice. Um, I, I think one thing isn't so much on, on how we address it, um, but more of how we respond to it. I, I would encourage uh, anyone who, who's seeing this to not go in with a feeling of resentment towards the individual, uh, because in many cases, uh, whether it be uh, motivated by um, a, a complex or trust issues or something, there there could very well be legitimate reasons behind uh, behind this, or it could just be how they've developed in uh, in their own personal leadership style. Uh, so when you go to approach an individual who who has these characteristics, you know, um, I, I think the the mindset that we should go in is is being grateful uh, for that leadership heart and the efforts that they've put in. Uh, but, and, and perhaps wanting to ensure, maybe the, the motivation behind the micromanaging piece is wanting to ensure everything's done just so, you know, maybe they have this idea of where they want to get and the only way that they know how to do it is to do a lot of things themselves. Uh, going with an a certain amount of appreciation uh, for that desire uh, in interpersonal, uh, not only say confrontations, but interactions, you know, finding some sort of thing that you can appreciate it about the other person that you may have some sort of uh, friction with is mm -hmm. a, a very gracious and I think very Christian way uh, to, uh, uh, to begin uh, working through those issues. Uh, by giving thanks for what that individual brings to the table and seeing if there's ways that you can make it more effective by focusing it more in certain areas. Um, yeah, that's a very interesting question. Very good. Let's do one more real quick. 
Drew Smizer asks, when does a contemporary church's worship ministry budget become too large? And at what point does it cross that line? Uh, I don't know if you can really put a percentage or a number on it exactly. I think yeah. it's, it's more I mean, of a principal issue. Context and contexts are different, you know, obviously. Right. Um, for instance, if you have a 2000 member church, a little Fender Passport audio system, is it going to, uh, isn't going to cut the record? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, I don't necessarily have a uh, uh, have a way to respond to this because, in my opinion, we could do with a little more worship ministry budget uh, uh, over mm-hmm. at my stomping grounds. Um, but you know, I, I would assume that this question is is probably uh, motivated, uh, perhaps, by seeing that there are some churches who provide the top of the top gear to, to some of their musicians or to all of their musicians, uh, you know, mm-hmm. where there's always a, a house Kemper or a house Helix or, or something for every station. Uh, mm-hmm. And, you know, it's not like, Oh, we're going to give you a free set of KZZSTs. It's no, we're going to give you a free set of, uh, of custom mold in-ears. And it, it becomes the point is like, why, you know, like, I, I think I think that's uh, what you alluded to, Cody. I think that's the uh, the thing that we have to discern is if we have this massive budget for the worship ministry, um, what is what is the reason behind that? Is because whoever's in charge of making that budget is is good at convincing people and really really likes nice things and new toys, is because <laughs> yeah. there's a legitimate need. Um, I think that everything should be measured against some sort of, of metric or, or rubric that uh, allows us to see whether expenses or, uh, um, or other expenditures are, are really necessary or helpful. I mean, um, the law of diminishing returns, for instance, is something that needs to be uh, considered. And and really making sure that there's not a heart thing going on. Um, yeah. Whereas, uh, you know, I want to make, sh- you know, I want us to, to look really that we're the best of the best. So we're going to, I want people to be impressed by what we're doing. Mm. And rather than focusing on excellence, they focus on, you know, surface level uh, uh, things that often revert to materialism, especially if we take a look at the, uh, at the, the musical and production side of the worship service. Um, I mean, if you're spending a boatload on, uh, on wine for communion, you know, like, which I suppose, I suppose is possible. I mean, are you importing it from Napa? You know, yeah, that's what I was about Valley? to say. The church, the church joins some <laughs> wine club from Napa. And spends a thousand dollars a month. To import. You know, my, the church, the church of my childhood. So it is pretty common in, in, you know, longstanding Lutheran congregations to use a, a kosher wine, whether it be Mogan David or Manischewitz, something that's very, very sweet. And, and, uh, whatnot. And, and it's not expensive, but it's certainly not as cheap as you can go. Um, you know, asking those questions, like, is it really necessary or can we just go down and get some two buck Chuck? Like (laughs) scripture says, use wine. I mean, does, but does wine mean, just go get a big bottle of Welchers. That's all you (laughs) need. 
<laughs> you know, and I don't know. Every, everything should be should be examined. I don't think anything any any perceived need should be taken for granted. Um, and uh, I, I think there there is something to a ministry uh, maintaining a a lean financial uh, portfolio and and doing what's necessary and spending what's necessary uh, for it for its internal needs and and using the rest for uh, something constructive, whether it be endowment funds or church expansion or funding plants or missions or, or whatever. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, I think the start of it would be to get to the heart of the issue, uh, whatever, whatever the actual topic or, uh, spending is, is figure out the why first, um, rather, oh, yeah. rather before figuring out the how much. I like it. You got anything to add to that, Bradley? Yeah, I, I agree with John. I mean, there, there, there are stewardship questions that that <clears throat> have to be asked and, yep. you know, weighed carefully relative to the overall church budget. But, uh, you know, when I was hired as a worship pastor right out of college, you know, those were the days where we had to buy CDs. We had to buy, you know, if you if you wanted to do a new song, if you were going to be legal, you had, you didn't have to buy one book of music charts, unless you were going to write it yourself. You had to, you had to buy, I mean, if you had acquired like I did potentially 20, 30 books, uh, 40 books. Um, And so you couldn't, you couldn't just put them on the copy machine. That's right. And so we couldn't do that. We weren't just thinking about, man, we need a a, a new guitar amp or in-ear monitors. I mean, in-ear monitors weren't even hardly a thing in the church in the late nineties. Um, and certainly live stream and, uh, lights and, uh, just all this, all this kind of stuff now that there, there seems to be some sense of pressure. If you're going to be a contemporary church to have all this equipment, we had to, we had to also budget for CDs and books and music. And now you, you get a subscription to song select, uh, and you know, you, 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 you get a, a subscription to Spotify and other things like mm-hmm. that. You know, you, you, you've trimmed the, the music budget down to, uh, you know, very, very little. And now there's all this gear and, and, you know, Cody knows my good friend, Terry Rhodes, uh, who works for an AVL company that it's not uncommon for him to go into a church and the, the budget, the AVL budget, which would include all things, you know, gear related for the musicians is well into the seven figures, you know, uh, just the, just that, not mm-hmm. to mention the building and chairs yeah. and nursery children's ministry, all the other things that go along with a church building a new structure. It's amazing what some churches spend on this stuff. And I think there's, there's, there is, there is ample room for some healthy scrutiny about that because at the end of the day, the point of congregational worship is that the people of God sing together and glorify God. And, um, you know, I'm not opposed. I mean, we have gear at res. We, we, I think we, we do pretty good relative to our size in terms of the quality of equipment that we use, uh, you know, in, in all things AVL, but yeah, I, I think, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to put a blanket statement over, this percentage of this or that, but I think, 
you know, there is a stewardship issue that's worth considering because I think uh, equipment is a money drain. Um, yep. so when, even when we went to the live stream, um, you know, I, it, you could spend anything from a few hundred dollars to 30, 40, 50, a hundred thousand dollars to get going on live stream. Um, and depending on who you talk to a hundred grand might be just all the bells and whistles of live stream, or it might be just a starting point. I mean, mm -hmm. some churches spend well into six figures, uh, getting their, you know, putting their production together for their, their live stream or TV program or whatever. So it's just, I don't know. I, I have a, a love hate relationship with equipment and, you know, I <laughs> well, really yeah, do. I mean, the, the stuff depreciates. I mean, not only do I see that in my, my IT career, um, you know, the, the whole industry is moving towards uh, what we call OPEX or operational expenditures, you know, subscriptions to things like Amazon Web Services, Google Cloud Platform, you know, letting someone else own the equipment and we're just using it. Um, because those don't, whether, while it's an ongoing expense, those things don't depreciate and eventually become something that we need to donate or, or find a, a home for when we're done with it. Um, I think my final thought is, is making sure um, that, I mean, especially, you know, going back to the, uh, going back to kind of the, the music realm, because that's, that's where my experience in this is, is most, uh, most found. There's a lot of ways that uh, we can be nickel and dimed as leaders in the worship space, uh, especially with like online resources. You know, Planning Center is a fantastic tool, and and I'm not and I'm not arguing a, against that. Um, but you know, you have Planning Center and you have CCLI, and if you don't want to write your own charts, you have to have Song Select. Um, you know, if you want something for your musicians to rehearse to, that's not just the MP3 recording, uh, then maybe multi-tracks rehearsal mix is another thing or worship tutorials or worship artistry or worship online or, or worship this or worship that. And then there's, there's on song and, and planning center music stand and, mm -hmm. and subscribing to, um, you know, updates and patches for your, for your main stage or rig for, for keys and stuff or your Omnisphere rig. And it just, boom, 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 you know, it just piles up. And the thing is, is these things are very in and of themselves or rather affordable, uh, appearing. Um, but as I'm sure 90% of people hearing my voice right now, um, can, can agree with is that, you know, you sign up for Netflix, you sign up for, for Hulu because you want to see a show and you forget to cancel that subscription. And then Verizon gives you a year of Disney plus, but then that expires. And that's another seven bucks. If you want to keep that, and then, um, then there's this, and then there's that, and then there's little bits and pieces all over the place. And then eventually you're spending hundreds of dollars a month cumulative, um, for all of these things that were like, Oh yeah, that's just a few bucks. I could afford that. And I, I, I think mm -hmm. that the, uh, that the the worship tool industry um, is is not uh, exclusive to that. I, I think that it's entirely possible for a ministry to get caught up in so many of those expenditures. So regular audits, and I mean, not like like legal or compliance related audits, but like just taking a look at your books and seeing what we're spending is 
is a good way to really see, oh, wow, our budget is too big because we don't need any of these tools anymore. We've been paying for this for years. When was the last time we logged into it? Mm-hmm. You know, always those things to consider. Yeah, good stuff, fellas. Well, make sure you follow the show, Facebook and Instagram, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, etc. And you can support the show at anchor.fm. And when you do, make sure you email me and we'll hook you up with some stuff. So thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.